We are live on a Tuesday afternoon in freezing cold Midwest. Um, it is, what is it where I'm at, where I am? It is, oh, it's up to 23. Wow, it was negative one this morning. So it's really, it's toasty warm now. Uh, this is Seth, I'm Seth Partnow. This is the Call and Shots podcast. And today I am joined by uh, a, a good friend of mine, Allison Lucan, uh, uh, who is uh, one of the best data-driven storytellers in uh, North American sports. Uh, she currently... Uh, covers the Seattle Kraken for for Root Sports Northwest, and uh, previously has has covered the Columbus Blue Jackets, and um, puts on a mean uh, data analytics conference as I <laughs> participated in multiple times. So, Allison, thanks for coming on, and and uh, I don't know, tell tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Uh, obviously, most of my guests have been in the basketball world, and you're in the hockey world, so you're they're probably less familiar with you than they are with most of the people I talk to. Sure. Um, well, again, my name is Allison. Um, I am in balmy Seattle. It's almost 45 degrees here and the sun is out. So, you know. <laughs> in Seattle? Uh, yes. Never happens. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, I uh, graduated with a degree in leadership studies from the University of Richmond and started my professional career as a strategic planning consultant um, grounded in IT consulting, started in IT doing client server based installations, if that tells you how long ago it was. Um, and then evolved that um, at the time when I was doing that work, I realized and came to, to really believe that technology implementations don't fail. It's the people implementations that fail when we don't know how to use technology or we don't build technology to meet the needs of the user. And so that really kind of grounded my whole approach to what became more strategic planning and operational design consulting. And then, gosh, it's been maybe now maybe 12, 15 years that I got the crazy idea to start also writing about sports on the side. Um, I had moved back to my hometown at the time, which was Columbus, Ohio. I'd been living all over the place. And uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets were there. I started uh, blogging about them. Yes, I am the cliche. And um, was able to fight fight my way in to actually get paid to write, um, first for Fox Sports Ohio. And then for the team website, um, I've done some work with McKean's Hockey. I wrote at The Athletic. Um, and I was gobsmacked when this summer um, the Seattle Kraken came calling and asked me to write for the website and also be part of their TV broadcast, which is insane. Um, but my my focus, and again, as I said in my beginning intro, is I really believe in the value that analytics and data brings to our understanding and our exploration of sport. But I also believe that to make it relevant, we have to tell a story with it and not just get buried in the numbers. And so I really try and use numbers to bring sport, player evaluation, um, game theory, all of that to life and, and make it accessible to anyone and everyone who's interested. It's not required to have to dive into the analytical side of sports, but if you do want to, I want you to be able to learn it as easily and as quickly as you wish at your own speed. And that's kind of my, my whole purpose. So I want to that, that lets me bounce off to kind of my first question. Um, when I first got into uh, when I first got into uh, blogging about sports myself, uh, you know, one of us, right? Um, I, a lot of it, a, a lot of my thinking is like, I want to kill these dumb narratives, Dad. And this word, yes, narrative, yes. 
narrative. It's evil. It, it, it's talking about, it's making stuff up. It's telling things that aren't true. It's, 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 you know, um, it's giving people the wrong idea of what, what's actually happened through quote unquote narratives. And as I've done this longer, and I think really you were one of the people who helped crystallize this for me. It's not that the, it's not the idea of narrative that's bad. It's bad narratives that are bad. And in yes. fact, to, to use statistics and analytics and analysis and technology and whatever word you want to put on it to understand and, and compete better, it, you re, you're required to have a narrative. Um, you, 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 yeah. It can't just be the data. So I, so sort of what, what's the starting point for, for learning how to both uh, construct a narrative using data, a better narrative than you you might get with just the you know the old eye test, uh, mm-hmm. and also to also how to consume narratives better. Interesting, uh, I like that. Yeah, you know it's it's funny. I go back to um, there were two sports narratives that that pushed me into using data more. Um, I will say that as a woman in sports, I was also really compelled to use data because it made my writing defendable (laughs) versus the you don't know what you're talking about narrative. Um, But the first thing that confounded me is that, and for people who aren't familiar with hockey, they show shots on goal. That's a big uh, stat that's been around for forever. It's on scoreboards. And shots on goal only count if they go in the net or if the goaltender interacts with the puck. So there's all kinds of pucks being fired at a goaltender that never quote-unquote count as a shot on net. And as I watched the game, that just didn't make sense to me. And so that was when I started to find some of the core analytics that are in hockey. But at the same time, the other narrative, one of the first stories I wrote when I was getting paid, was on um, a tremendous offensive player for Columbus, um, Cam Atkinson. And people were questioning was he streaky because his point totals varied year to year? And all they were looking at was his you know, career one line, one line, one line. And as I looked at it, I said, but you're not looking at number of games played. You're not looking at there were some scenarios with injuries. There were some scenarios with lockout years and things like this. And that drove me, and this is you know, on the more basic side, that drove me to say, well, why don't we rate these stats? Why don't we put them per game or per actual minutes played to look at how effective he is in scoring when he's on the ice? And find the question you're trying to answer. So there's two ways into the narrative, right? So those are examples of narratives that led me to use to find data that made sense to me. So be propelled by your question. What is the story you're trying to explain? And then see if there's data out there to get it. And then the flip side of finding the narrative is that, you know, I think that one of the, and we've talked about this, Seth, one of the things that I think people get tripped up on, particularly if we're, we're data nerds, which I proudly am, is that we do so much work to get to the numeric-based analysis that we do that we want to show that off. And, and that's normal and healthy and great, but we have to be willing to set that aside for proper audiences and if we do data-based work and find something compelling 
then go see if that story matches up within the sport. So, you know, I, I think of um, a stat that Ryan Stimson in the hockey world came up with a few years ago, which was the idea of a pass that leads to a shot in hockey. And he called them shot assists. And he had done a tremendous amount of analysis to say this was a relevant thing to track for a player's ability. So I thought that was really cool. And then what I did was I went into the room and I talked to players about it and I talked to coaches about it and I found people who were good at it and asked them what goes into being good at it. And I told the story of what the stat revealed to us about the game, but using language from coaches and players and people who were actually in the game. And I, I like to believe that that makes it more digestible for at the end of the day, my consumer, which is the fan, the public, the the reader, um, and, and that that's how I approach the narrative um, problem, if you will. So, first of all, uh, all that extra work you do that you want someone to that that you you don't want to just cast aside. That's what footnotes are for. Uh, <laughs> as, anyone, as, as anyone who's read my book understands, uh, it didn't didn't want to kill all those babies, so they they went in the footnotes, and some people didn't like them, and I don't care. Um, so I. Um, uh, Regard, regarding that, though, um, something that you do well that um, touches on a very common question, a question I've often gotten about, you know, doing basketball. Analysis, was, How do you talk to players about this? And the short answer is I don't. I didn't like I, that was not that was that was no, that was that was frankly not my role. But it, but you as someone kind of uh, being a, a, a journalist, a writer from the outside, you 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 were in positions to not tell players things, but ask them things using kind of stats. And, you know, oftentimes we get, you know, a player gets asked about a stat and it's like, I don't care about that. And it's like, oh, what a Luddite. And it's like, well, why would he need to know that? Like, it doesn't matter to, to his playing of the game. But you're someone who does, as you just said, go into the room and talk to coaches and players using data and using stats. Um, how do you do that? <laughs> how are you successful at doing that and not getting the... The, I don't need to be looking at charts and numbers. I'm playing hockey. I'm playing basketball here. Yep, yep. And and I will pause and also say that if anyone's listening to this who hasn't read Seth's book, it is one of my all-time favorites on data and sports, and I think it's tremendous. I loved every single second of it. It's so good. Um, but, you know, it, to your point about not, you know, getting rid of, of all the hard work that you do, here's what you have to do, and, and I have called this role a translator for a long time, and I was always um, relating it to what I do. But this is also a role that is becoming acknowledged, um, especially in the in the hockey space. Um, and what I have learned in talking with some people who work for teams, and I think this is really important, is it's a role that can be held by someone who's working with the data. It doesn't have to be like this individual person. It is a role. It's called translator. It can sit wherever it sits in the organization. But the reason we do all the work that we do is so that we intimately understand what the data tells us. And I'll go back to that passing example. If I just pull up data and I say, I don't know, let me uh, pick a player. Jared McCann for the Seattle Kraken is the best at shot assists. And then what usually ends up happening, to your point, is I go in there and I say, Jared McCann is the bit at shot assist. What do you think of that? Well, that in no way is approachable. And in my opinion, to your point, if you put a chart or whatever in front of a player, listen, these are things that, as we know, dictate their contracts, dictate playing time. 
that I think is part of why publicly a lot of them spur it because they either don't understand it or they don't want to get into this like potentially agreeing with something that hurts their profession and their career. So what I have to do is I have to intimately understand what the data actually tells me about the game and translate the learning or the point into my audience's language, which in this case would be the player or the coach. Um, so again, when I go into the room and I'm talking to the player, I say, hey, Jared, uh, you know, we don't always talk about, we talk about players who take shots, but we don't always talk about the player who puts that puck on your stick to take the shot. Is that important to you as a player? Do you want to play with someone who's really good at putting the puck on your stick? The answer, of course, is probably yes. And then I say, okay, well, what goes into that? Is it a skill? Is it just luck? Like, what kind of players are really good at that? I can ask those same kinds of questions of coaches. And to your point, I actually think that this idea of being a translator is also a crucial skill for a successful coach because a coach watches film. Many coaches in many sports, hockey included today, obviously are looking at data to help inform what they need to do with their team, but they cannot put those numbers and charts up in front of their players. They have to understand what they learned and then translate that often with video to a player to say, here's what I want you to do differently, or here's where I want you to be on the ice or on the court or what have you. So it's, it is rooted in the idea that you must intimately understand what the data tells you using language of the sport you're working in before you speak to your audience. And, and I think the same holds true if you're talking to players, if you're talking to readers, if you're talking to viewers. Um, that, that idea of translating back and forth is crucial to, to quality data-driven storytelling. I've I've referenced this uh, on on this show before, um, but there was an article that came out about two weeks ago about kind of the uh, the the Bill Belichick school of tape breakdown, and it's super detailed and sounds frankly hellish to actually have to do it. Um, but it, it, it the the description is that that he that that what part of his genius is he can take these hundred two hundred like minute aspects, whether it's data points or a, a, a tactical uh, approach or something like that, and come out with the two or three like actionable pieces from all that, whether it's the pat recognizing a pattern or a weakness or a strength or something like that. And I think that's that's of a piece with what you're talking about here. It's it's figuring out how not just um, this one data point exists on an o on its own, but how it how it factors into the larger scheme, whether it's the, you know, the play of the game itself or the value an individual player brings to a team or what have you. I, I totally agree. And, you know, I think that um, if, if we look at athletes, you know, I think it's, it's a pretty straight line to connect to say that most of them are visual learners. So that point of a pattern or one area of focus is, is critical for how they're going to think the game to a visual learner and we know this about the best athletes, you know, uh, Michael Jordan doesn't say, okay, I'm going to take two steps here and then I'm going to spin and then I'm going to pull back and then I'm going to shoot and then I'm going to drive. It's just innate. He can assess 5,000 data points and instantly process what he's going to do with his body and with the ball. And so being able to say, this is one area of focus and pull out that theme. I think it's the right way to approach it because here's the thing too. Whenever 
whenever I write about one data point, I'm always focused on saying just because a player is good at this isn't a full statement on the player. This is one aspect of the game, and this is what we're focusing on today versus this being a full indictment of of the player or the team or what have you. So I think that it helps with education. It helps with communication to say a theme or say one area of focus. Um, and, you know, I think that it also it, – uh, John Tortorella is a, a very familiar coach to people who've been in hockey, and I covered him for many years – And, you know, he talks about this, too, from a coaching perspective. He said, you know, when I was a young coach, my whole thing was I was going to I put together notebooks and I had plans and I had, you know, all this information. I would hand out these notebooks to the players and I realized it's too much. You can overwhelm your players with too much information. And so now he, too, would say, I focus on thematic statements and it's. You know, there are some X's and O's, but it's it's more here is our bigger message. Here's our bigger theme or here's the one thing we're going to focus on this game. Um, and that's what's led him to be uh, the winningest um, American born, I believe, uh, hockey coach in the NHL. Sure. No, it's a, it's I mean, it's not to to go slightly more academic with it. It's it's at in at the level, certainly level of professional sport. It's type one thinking it's 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 thinking fast not thinking slow and if you're inundating a player with information you're even if it's even if it's right it's slow so it's wrong right right a hundred percent a hundred percent and that's one of the things that i was fortunate enough to do when i was a consultant which helps me now is real i was certified in a couple different communication strategies and evaluation techniques and again finding the way to effectively communicate with your audience, whatever that is, is just as important, if not sometimes more important than the actual message that you want to, to get across. So let's take the other half of that. Um, uh, sort of from a, a, a practitioner standpoint, not from, a, from an analyst standpoint, but from a, sort of the end user whether it's a coach, uh, a sports executive, or someone in, in, in the business world. Um, we, we, I think we talk a lot about how to present information. I don't think we, we always talk enough about how to, f- sort of from the, better, from the other side, how to best, uh, I don't know if acquire is the right word, how to request information, mm. how to form the right question. Um, mm. Uh, so I, you know, I've, I've, I have some thoughts on this, but I'd like to hear yours first. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting and perhaps not fair, but as I think about this from a, let's say this is a coach example, I, I almost feel like the burden is slightly heavier still on, on the analyst um, because in my in my world, and, and this happens to me now. I, I, the fellow members of my broadcasting team here at Seattle Kraken, we sit around, we'll watch a practice, and we'll start talking about things that they're curious about. And they don't say things like, "What's the win percentage when when this exact scenario happens within this exact amount of time?" They share colloquially, colloquially, you know, it seems like if a team never wins the faceoff in overtime, they never win the game. And then I have to trans. I have to know what data to pull that from. So I think there is still a bit of a heavier burden on the analyst. 
I do think that if you're the coach or if you're the audience, here's what you have to do. You have to come to your analyst with trust and intention to work towards finding the best communication method. I think sometimes we have scenarios where, again, I'll just keep going with the coach example. A coach says, could you tell me this thing? And maybe the analyst misunderstands the question or the question isn't framed properly. And then the data comes back and the coach says, this is useless. This doesn't answer my question. This doesn't tell me what I wanted to know. And then the information is dismissed and the conversation ends. And so I think that what the end user needs to do is be willing to engage in the process of finding the most effective way to communicate. And if you are dealing with an analyst who maybe doesn't understand your realm, maybe that your sport or the specific role of a player, that you are willing to invest the time to educate them on the game context or the player context so they can then go find the data to help answer the question that you're asking. So I think that's right. I think this gets back to your uh, your, your description of the role as as being a translator. Um, but it's it's this is almost the other side of the translation. Um, mm-hmm. Part of part of like I, I was smiling at your example because I think that's perfect because uh, I think a lot of times when people who don't aren't used to it want to engage with data. They try to ask the what's the win percentage when da 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 question instead of asking the sport question, asking the yeah. hockey question. Yeah. And and so that's I think that's the that's one takeaway there is what not what stat do you want? What do you want to know? And then the translator's job is to figure out, OK, what data addresses that issue? Uh, and the second thing you, you, you said that I think is uh, I, I maybe want to expand on a little bit is is the the process where it's. Uh, it it's has to be more of a, I don't want to say organic, but more of an integrated process. So it's not just, hey, we stuck our head together and this is the, this is the question. We're going to write this one, one question on a, on a page and it's a pop quiz. Yes. It's, it's, it's that discussion of what are we worried about yep. that sort of leads to, you know, maybe, maybe doesn't even perfectly verbalize the actual question. But if you know what the, what the concern is, if you're, if you're, I don't necessarily in the room, but if you're in the conversation the whole time, you ha- you just naturally have a better sense of of what the problem is. What are we solving for here? Uh, and and not just like what are we solving for, but a little bit of how, because um, you know the, the similar questions asked in very different con- in different contexts can lead to kind of very different prescriptive answers. I couldn't agree more, and I think. One of my favorite things, one of my favorite things, and I think something that people who are who are doing this need to be aware of, um, is that. And, and I, it's funny sometimes people and, and Seth, you know this at the Athletic, we could sometimes write two, three, four thousand word pieces, right, and explore every nuance and every crevice, and um, that is not the audience that I am writing for currently. And I think that that's great and appropriate. So what we have to find, too, is the balance between here's the question I was asked. I, as I analyze it, I answer your question, but I also find five follow-up questions or five other points of nuance that need to be explored to really contextualize my answer, right? And acknowledging those but setting them aside for addressing as a follow-up can be just as important as answering the question. 
because sometimes it is appropriate to write 5,000 words and go into every possible caveat and every possible scenario and every possible, but if it's this, it's not that. Sometimes that's appropriate, but sometimes that's too much. And I would suggest it's too much, particularly at the beginning of anyone's consumption of data-based analysis, be they a coach, be they a reader, what have you. You want to get your point across. And sometimes that's just one point and you acknowledge at the end. And there's going to be 10 more points that we need to be aware of. And I'm going to talk about those later. Um, Because if you try and do too much, sometimes you're lost in the forest um, because you are looking at the trees. And I think that it, I love it. I love when I go through an analysis and say, oh my gosh, but what about this, 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 and this? But I have to stop myself from keeping that part of the initial work and make it follow up work. Uh, sure. That, I, uh, an analogy just popped into my mind. Um, in, a, in a previous life, I was, I was an attorney. Um, and this, this is, I think, anal- analogous to uh, uh, a motion practice, doing an oral argument in front of a judge. You have an allotted amount of time and you want to make the judge understand and agree with your, your argument. So you come in prepared with an outline of what your, your, your position is. What you, you start on that, and what you really are hoping for is for the judge to start asking questions right away. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. If, you've done your, if you've done your work right, like the judge will tell you the parts that they're most interested in, and they'll ask those questions. And, and while those, those, those pieces, those nuggets, those, those points of law in this case weren't necessarily in your prepared remarks – you have them at your at your 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 beck and call, so that if that's the piece they're interested in, you can address that. And I think that in certainly in, in dealing with with kind of sports decision makers, um, like being able to answer the next question is is important. And that means that probably means you're going to prepare ten answers and use one of them, but that's okay because that's um, those nine answers you didn't those eight or nine answers you didn't use are. Um, far more valuable uh, in the positive or, or far I, I, that, that's a far better thing to have those than it is the one question that you that you can't answer that you're not that you're not prepared to engage with which is a pretty quick way to lose credibility yeah and you know the the feedback loop in any communication but particularly in this kind of a scenario is so important um, you know I I, I say when I talk about this with people, you know, I say, you know, the joke is, of course, never read the comments. And a lot of times that's true. <laughs> but to your point, like it's it's from reading my readers comments or tweets I get back from something that we do on the broadcast or something that I write that help me know what I need to do better or what question I should be asking next. Or, you know, sometimes it's. <laughs> It's really funny is that sometimes you'll write something and you'll be really proud of it. And then someone writes a comment and they're like, oh, yeah, it's great that so-and-so did this. And you're like, that's literally not what I said. But that's a <laughs> lesson to me that my communication wasn't effective. Or maybe I over-communicated or maybe I soft-pedaled a point too much, right? So put out, again, put out your biggest point, answer the question, and be prepared to acknowledge the tendrils that come next. Or as you said... Be prepared to have them in your bag of tricks when the next question comes. You know, it's I, I wrote something recently and someone wrote back and said, yeah, but did you consider da, 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 da? And I wrote, why, yes, I did. And here's the answers. So, um, yeah, you, you don't I, I love those questions. 
have you have you thought about yes 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 i've thought about that yeah but i yes, I, I, it's, 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 it, this is 1200 words not 12000 words so right. yeah exactly <laughs> exactly but yeah no the fee- the feedback loop is crucial and i think that if you're working within a team environment having just to follow your example to have those answers at the ready only builds your credibility particularly at the start of a relationship is if you go to a coach you answer their question they say ah but what about this and then you can say well yeah we thought about that and this 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 it reinforces your credibility and i think it also shows your audience that you do in fact understand the context in which you're doing your work be that a sport or a player role is that if you are talking about a very specific game scenario and the follow-up question is, but did you consider this game scenario? And you say yes and have the answer, you are showing that you're not only good at your work as an analyst, but you're also good at understanding the game in which you're working. And as we continue to strengthen the bridge between the watch the game nerd and I test people to analysts, I think that's crucial. Sure. So I want to bounce uh, from that. You, you, We've kind of covered almost their uh, analytical communication and where it falls down, um, I think is it was neatly summarized in a, uh, a Twitter thread by uh, Kyle Boddy, who is, who is a former exec with the Cincinnati Reds, runs driveline baseball uh, for, uh, just outside of Seattle. Really a very, very smart guy, excellent use of data, especially in, in sort of the realm of player development. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said that kind of, Players, and this probably applies to sort of any, uh, you know, broadly speaking, old school stakeholder, um, have a have a negative reaction to 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 quote unquote analytics for one of two reasons. One is they are introduced to it by what he described as a low feel analyst, and I think we've that's what we've covered so far is avoiding like being the 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 overconfident kind of bumbling know it all. Mm-hmm. like th- that whole pitfall the other part is is it's been a, their their exposure to it has been through kind of misexpression uh in in the broadcast context so i wanted to talk to you about you mentioned earlier about you know now that you're you're doing like television as, as much as writing like that's a very different like detail and level of communication so how do we do that better? Uh, this has sort of been one of my bugaboos about NBA coverage over the last decade is this almost a, uh, an unwillingness to even attempt to challenge the audience to learn something new. Um, so it seems like that's part of your role. So how do you do it? <laughs> well, here, I'm going to step on my soapbox here, Seth. <laughs> I'm going to say... Um, you, you know, I, I what I what my experience has been, and and I should say my experience before I was in broadcast, um, because I was watching broadcast just like all the rest of us, and my experience was that as broadcasts or networks got data, they were like, "Oh, cool, new shiny toy! I'm going to put this up here to show that I have this new cool shiny toy," but they didn't understand what they were showing. And so, again, the minute you show this thing and then all of a sudden you're bumbling over what you're talking about and you put this chart up and you're like, well, there's just that. Here's a chart. And you move on. It it discredits the value of that content being in the broadcast. So I think first, again, you need to understand it. And here's my soapbox part 
is this is where we need to continue to challenge paradigms for what makes a good broadcast. Um, I'm the, my husband probably likes to say that um, I'm the only woman analyst on TV for hockey that hasn't played the game. Um, and I come from a data background and that is part of what the Kraken expressed they were interested in from me. And so our decision makers are people who are putting people on TV or hiring the producers who work with talent to tell them what's going to be on a show. They need to invest in bringing in people who understand this content so that they can explain it in a relevant way or be prepared to use data that's relevant to the game. Um, there's nothing worse than a broadcast, for example, that says we're going to show goaltending data and Ultimately, with the way the game is going, that either doesn't matter or the data point that you have contradicts what's happening in the game right then and there. But that was your slide and that was the thing you prepped. So here it is. And you don't know that it doesn't really relate to what's happening. And again, that just devalues the use of the information in the broadcast. So I think hiring and using people who understand the data is key. And that ties to understanding the data. And then, you know, one thing I always talk about with stats in general, and I think this has been a big pitfall for hockey in particular, it goes back to that translator idea is that if you're going to talk about data, particularly on a broadcast, don't use something in terms of language that alienates your audience. Don't say Corsi and expected goals, say the volume of shots or shot quality. You have so little time. And, you know, we joked about not having 5,000 words or even 1,000 words you have so little time to express what can be very complex things on broadcast that you need to make that as accessible as quickly as possible with your language. I have a follow-up question to that, I guess, is do you find yourself doing the same, I guess I'll call it points of education, over and over? It's if it, or do you think that there's an ability to, okay, over the season, I can I can build on this a little bit, and you know my audience will have at least some of them will have heard the previous one, so maybe maybe if I go from zero to one, I don't start at one the next time, but I start at like point two five and and go yeah. and go, is that something that works or are you kind of uh, I don't want to say reinventing the wheel, but covering the same kind of uh, basic terrain over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's certainly value to, we do both, and there's certainly value to touching on the same key data points in terms of saying this is what happened in this game, or this is what we know about the team right now. But I must give credit to my producer, Scott Malone, in that he has really made a commitment to us having Hockey 101 segments, and they can be anything about, like, what's a power play, to we're going to explore what kind of passes are most dangerous. And so he really gives space to and great guidance to, I know the point you want to make. Here's how much time we have. Here's how we're going to do it. And we have a very collaborative experience. So we continue to touch on some key points over and over again. But then as this season is going on, he helps really facilitate an opportunity for us to with little pieces, one by one, build up the knowledge base for our audience. Is that a, is that a uh, an opportunity that's more afforded to you 
because you are covering the first season of an expansion team. There, like, there's a, yeah. no, a, a, like, there's, there's a fan base that that maybe has to unlearn fewer things to learn new things. Yeah, I, I totally think so. And I, you know, one of my, uh, the fan base here has just been so amazing and so awesome. And one of my very favorite tweets um, is that someone tweeted back about the, someone tweeted and said they were learning so much from our shows. And another person uh, tweeted back and said, yeah, we're all talking in shot quality and pass attempts. And I was like, yes, that is my goal is I want these fans who are interested because again, if you want to go to a game and sit and drink beer and eat food and hang out and enjoy yourself, that is awesome and totally valid. But if you want to understand more, I want this fan base to start by understanding what does really matter, how to understand it, where to find it and how to use it. And I mean, I I have to imagine that your broadcast like has stuff for the, the fans who like, who want to drink beer, eat a pretzel and see some collisions. (laughs) absolutely and you know that's listen if this is i'm not a big baseball person but my husband is so he always jokes with me you know there's that narrative right now that analytics have killed the game and so it's very important to me and and one of uh, an analyst who i greatly admire who is in hockey um namita nandakumar who's here at the kraken she always says at the end of the day we still have to remember these are all always just probabilities they might be bigger, but they're still just probabilities. And in in a common language way, I like to always say there's magic to the game. We can look at data all we want, but if we could predict everything to the nth degree, where what's the fun in that? Um, it, it's the cliche of there's a reason why we play the game. And so we have to have space for things just to happen. I mean, the Kraken have, have struggled this season, and last game they beat the number one team in hockey. That doesn't make sense, <laughs> but it happened and it was great and it was fun. And we ride that wave and, and we're here for that experience too. So I think that that leads me to the topic that maybe we should close on unless folks who are listening have questions and please uh, raise your hand if you do and I'll bring you up on stage to uh, to ask. But um, this is a challenge that I and uh, many, many team side analysts and probably folks like media side analysts of uh, well uh, have a problem with is you just talked about not being able to predict something down to the nth degree. Um, that's often seems to be the expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any strategies or tips or good advice for um, softening the blow for people who aren't uh, used to living in the world of, of uncertainty, that kind of the, that, that is, that is our home base as kind of more statistically minded analysts. <laughs> That's a great question. And I will probably think of even a better answer as, as, as we go along. But I think that, you know, again, that, that quote from Namita when she shared that with me has really grounded in some of my core principles of how to lay out information. Um, I think that that's crucial. And I, I think that, again, most of the time when I'm facing the don't give me numbers, give me this, give me this, um, I have to acknowledge that that is usually someone who is very emotionally invested in what's just happened, be it for their favorite player or their game. And they're expressing their frustration with their sport. And it's often heightened, right, versus where they actually are on the thing. But I think that we it 
you have to have that foundational principle that people understand. Like I always say, and this is not groundbreaking. What this means is that X is more likely to happen, but I never say is going to happen. And that's just never express. And you talked about this, Seth, when you said, you know, at the start, what was happening and, and maybe some overconfidence. Again, we are proud of the hours and hours we put into our data based analysis and we believe we've discovered something. And so we want to share that and not come across as not sure of the work we did. But when we present, when we introduce ideas, when we give answers, we have to allow space in our presentation to say, or not, right? Like all these things tell us this, or not. If one of the best players for the Kraken right now does not have a single goal this season, he can't score, doesn't make any sense. So he's likely to score. He's doing all the things that should lead to scoring, but he hasn't scored. And so you have to make space in terms of introducing things from the very beginning and lay the groundwork that probability exists. And you also have to, when someone comes at you enraged that you aren't certain, I think you as the analyst have to pause, step back and allow for the acknowledgement that there might be emotion involved in that and then wait to have the more intentional conversation when that emotion is removed from the situation um, and if there is an emotion, then you have to go back and to say, let's go back to bigger picture here. This is all, I always go back to the flipping a, flipping a coin situation is if you flip a quarter one time and it comes up heads, do you believe that every time the quarter is going to come up heads that you flip it? Well, of course you don't. You flip it a hundred times, it gets closer and closer to 50%. But we have no perspective of, and we've all seen, you know, the little charts, like what's the order of the coin flips? I always give that example when I talk about probabilities to say, we know what's likely to happen, but we can't guarantee anything. I, I've always found that the, the, the balance between um, expressing uh, the requisite confidence to get someone to come with you, to, mm -hmm. uh, as far as this being actionable advice, balancing that with responsibly um, uh, caveating is, is a very tough balance. And uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it would be a great surprise to anyone to learn that sort of in the room is not a great spot to show doubt. Um, yeah. volume kind of has a, ha, you know, the, was the, the, uh, I think it was a Stalin quote that, that quantity has a quality all its own. Uh, in this case, like, uh, um, volume has its own logic in these kind of arguments. So it's, it's, you have to like balancing the, the need to reach that volume while also not like going too far is that's a, that's a tough balance to, to, to reach. And, and I, you know, I, I, I don't envy the people who still have to, you know, fight that battle every day, but I think that's a, that's a, um, that's a tough, that's a tough one. It just, it, there's just no way around it. That's the, that's what ma makes it art, not science. Well, and you know, what's interesting too, is I, I think that, and this is a broader comment about analytics and its role in sports today is that we get an unfair shake a lot of times. Right. And so, you know, a, a new um, core principle in terms of my communication about analytics of late has been, you know, people come back and, Oh, you're analytics and da, 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 that kind of stuff. And people have said this for years. If it was just, if someone came up to you and said, 
do you want some more information to help you coach your team? Or do you want some more information on how to use a specific player? If you just said information, who says no to that? Right. And it it goes back to your point of why some people get a bad taste in their mouth with the word analytics. And so compare the, the, even if this is an internal exercise, compare that balance that you just outlined, Seth, to a different information source that your coaching staff or your front office has. I want to remind you that just like no scout has ever been 100% right on every single player that they have scouted, here's our degree of certainty on this. Because it's true, there is no scout that's ever gotten every evaluation right. There is no financial contract specialist who's ever gotten every contract to be exactly what they wanted it to be. You win some, you lose some. And it's analytics that sometimes feels like it's getting judged more unfairly. And in some way, we want that because we believe in the integrity of the work that we do. But we have to challenge those naysayers to realize that their other information sources are not perfect either. Our stuff is written down and easier to find, though. I know. <laughs> like, there's, the, the record is there of, oh, you said this. Like, I have your draft model from last year. It said this guy was number one and he sucks. It's exactly. like, well, the, uh, the, the, but the, the, the scout the scout standing on the table for him, that's down the memory. Anyway, that's, right, that's right. Uh, that, the, these are commiserations for, for over a beard somewhere. But <laughs> um uh, Alice, I don't want to. I don't want to keep you too long today. We've uh, this has been as always when we chat, and it's really been. It's, this is this is the first time we've actually we've we've talked via voice in quite some time, actually. So I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that aspect of it, and I thank you so much for for coming on. Uh, um, hopefully, uh, um, have you back on sometime as as if especially if kind of specific issues in kind of the communicative thing uh, come up. I think that you're an excellent person to kind of talk through um how things developed and how things could have better been done um because uh, I, just having the the organizational skills to uh to to do that communication is is maybe rare um rarer than 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 we, we might think it is well seth you are you know you are one of my very favorite people in this world and i i love getting the time to chat with you too i it, it means a lot that you would have me on this show and and thank you for that and uh, thanks, thanks a lot, Allison. And uh, we will be back on Thursday uh, with a very sharp uh, change of direction from uh, being very esoteric data communication. We're going to talk uh, um, trade deadline uh, news with uh, Jake Fisher of, uh, of Bleacher Reports. So uh, uh, talk to everyone then. Thank you again, Allison. And thanks, everyone, for listening.